With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It is another Buckeye Football Futures. I'm Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We are from Cleveland.com, as you already know, I'm sure. And we're here to talk a little bit of Ohio State football recruiting. Maurice today. This episode will sort of carry you through the weekend. We're going to get back into our usual routine starting Monday. We're going to be changing some things up. I don't know if Doug's already talked about this on the pod, but not all three of us every day of the week now. We're going to be shifting some things around as we get into the offseason here, give us an opportunity to do some other work. But uh, I think Doug and I are supposed to be back Monday. We'll be talking about kind of a Monday madness sort of approach to Mondays again. Well, what, what are the odds? So that'll kick us off each week. And then Steve and I are going to pretty regularly drop these recruiting episodes throughout the offseason. And obviously, we're in an interesting period right now. A lot of coaches out on the trail. A lot of offers going out, if you follow that sort of thing on Twitter. And we're going to get to that at the end of this episode. We're going to talk a little bit about the latest commitment, Will Smith Jr., and who the next commitment might be. We are going to talk a little bit about Luke Montgomery, the four-star top 100 lineman from Findlay, who we had a a big story about this week at Cleveland.com that I encourage you all to check out. And we're going to kind of get into some of the details there and the dynamics around that and how Michigan's involved, how Clemson's involved, and some things that are going on. I wanted to start with another series that we've been running that Steven's been working on uh, on the site, cleveland.com slash OSU or slash Buckeye Talk should take you there. And it's looking into sort of the backgrounds and what to expect from each of the incoming Ohio State assistant coaches and a little bit about what they've done as recruiters and what their role might look like going forward and, and, and how that's going to work. And Steven, maybe just to start off with, as you sort of looked into the backgrounds of these guys, what anything that stood out that impressed you in some way, anything that caught your eye as you know, something that somebody has done on the recruiting trail that should translate well to Ohio State? At face value, no. To just keep it plain and simple without the added context of, you know, their backgrounds and where they come from and whatnot. And so not at face value, the most impressive recruit of the bunch is Perry Eliano in that 2020 
uh, two recruiting class for Cincinnati, where he went down to Phoenix City, Alabama, to Central High School, which is now the same high school that A.J. Harris is at. So as you know, there's some relationships there. He went and pulled a four-star kid by the name of J.Q. Hardaway, which is uh, that's the highest rated guy he's ever brought in at any school he's been to along the way. And why did that happen? Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant. I mean, when you just put, when you just develop two guys who are one's all American and the other one's a Jim Thorpe Award winner, you know, it kind of you know ups your value a little bit on the recruiting trail. So at face value, no. But when you start adding the context for some of these guys, starting with maybe a Tim Walton, Tim Walton hasn't been at the college level for a decade. So of course, there's no recruiting, you know, background that he has that's very recent that would make anybody look at his his pro his resume and go. I don't know. Oh, I know this is going to work. You're probably a little bit hesitant until you realize that he spent four games in a, a tra- training camp with Jalen Ramsey, who just who gave a very raving review on his way out of the door at Jacksonville back in 2019, I believe, where he had a lot of great things to say for him. That's a stamp of approval there. Perry Aliano seems like a guy who's ready to take that next step as an assistant coach. And kind of, Jim Knowles has never really been much of a recruiter, but that's not why they brought him here. And while he's out on the recruiting trail right now, offering guys that shouldn't be the expectation with him. And you look at a Justin Fry, it might be the same thing as a Perry Aliano. Not to that extent, Stream, but the idea of what happens once he gets the resources of an Ohio State football program, what kind of recruiting can he do there? Let's get into some of these guys, because I want to make sure I know exactly what you're saying with some of these guys. And mm-hmm. in, in the, the piece that you wrote for Cleveland.com, you said that Jim Knowles recruiting has been pedestrian at best. I know that the star ratings for the guys that he's recruited have not been especially high. That's true of every class at Oklahoma State. Um, and Duke before him, you don't, Duke doesn't get five-star or even four-star recruits really ever probably. So why is he pedestrian recruiter? I mean, he's never had anybody who's higher than a four, a three-star recruit and the list of guys that he has been the primary for. It's not a long list at all. It's wherever he's gone, regardless of the schools he's been to, it's not a very long list of guys that he's been responsible for recruiting, especially as the primary. That's when I mean when I say it's pedestrian at best. It's not so much the fact that he was recruiting for Duke or he was recruiting for Oklahoma. It's the fact that wherever he's gone, that's not been his forte is being on the recruiting trail at all. It's been more being there to scheme and build the defense up and take the collective talent that gets recruited around him and turn it into the best possible defense he can. So who's going to recruit Ohio State's linebackers? Everybody. This is more of a it's not a constant. We should not have an expectation that he's going to be a constant on the recruiting trail right now. Yes, because there's very much nothing else to do for them. They're in a contact period for the for 14 days. The team is in winter workouts. And so he doesn't really have their eyes on them right now to do that scheming process. So he's out there. But there's no expectation that. When you talk to these recruits, whether it's a linebacker, whether it's anybody else, where they're going, oh, yeah, Jim Knowles is the guy I have the best relationship with. That's why you it's part of the reason why there's two guys in the defensive back, because you've got Perry Eliano, you've got Tim Walton, who will handle a lot of that. Ryan Day has been more active on the defensive side of the ball, recruiting that as the head coach. And you still have Larry Johnson as your as your closer, per se. So what I'm saying is if you had to rank the guys in terms of the expectations from a recruiting standpoint, he's probably last. And that's fine because that's not what he's here to do. It's not saying that every so often he won't be out there. It's just of the list of things that are on his list of you know, responsibilities, recruiting isn't necessarily top one, top two or top three. Yeah, but I guess like what's an example in recent Ohio State history where a guy has been a position coach 
but hasn't really been the primary guy recruiting the players at that position. I don't think it ever happens. It's yeah. like, I don't know. I don't even know what we're talking about right now. I, like, I'm not to be the guy who goes out and recruits linebackers. Doesn't he? what I am. What I am saying is it's not at the top of his list of duties here. I'm not saying it's what well, I'm not saying that like June is going to hit and he's just going to be sitting in his office somewhere while everybody else is out on the road. That's not at all what's happening here. What I am saying is that is not the top tier priority for him in this program. Which is why when you ask, when I asked a guy like AJ Harris and his father, as the literally clear cut, high priority pl- defensive player for Ohio State in 2023, hey, do you have a relationship with Jim Knowles yet? He goes, we haven't talked to him at all, but we've talked to Perry Eliano a couple of times. We talked to Tim Walton a couple of times. Yeah, but that's their his position coaches. But he's also the defensive coordinator, so at some point you have to have some type of relationship with him. Well, especially sure, when, but- especially when you were the first guy hired before Perry Eliano and Tim Walton were even on the staff. Um, maybe, but I, I want to get back into more about like how this is going to work as far as recruiting linebackers in the future. Like, I don't think it matters that it's not going to be his first priority. Um, when Kerry Combs was defensive coordinator, I don't know that re- recruiting defensive backs was still his first priority anymore either. Right. He, somebody had to coordinate the defense. I don't think it's Ryan day's first priority to recruit quarterbacks, but he's still involved with that. But I don't think that's, uh, a, I don't think that Kerry Combs, part of the reason he, get, he was brought back here is because the defensive back recruiting went astray. And so that was a little bit higher on his priority list of things. Yes. And he came back here and fixed it. So if linebacker play is a help fix it. So if linebacker play is a problem at Ohio state right now, how is Jim Knowles as a recruiter going to help fix that? Play, play versus get accumulating talent are not the same thing. They've accumulated the talent at linebackers. There's plenty of top 100 recruits in the linebacker room right now. They have just not been developed. That's a whole different conversation if we're asking how are they going to get developed here versus can he go out there and get top 100 line? Getting the top 100 linebacker has not been the problem. I think we can agree on that. Yeah, but as I've said before, I don't much care what they were ranked once they get here. I care how they're performing. Um, I guess in the same way that you, Kevin Wilson gets credit for helping with recruits as Knowles done that sort of thing at Oklahoma State and how did that affect their classes? Yeah, that's pro- that's actually probably the best comparison of how this might how this is going to work. It's more, you know, Ke- Kevin Wilson's in charge of the tight ends, but it's not why he's actually here. Jim Knowles is in charge of the linebackers, but it's not like the primary thing that he's here for. He's got a couple of got people that he's been a secondary for, like Rocky Shelton out of Florida, uh, Zach Harmon out of Toledo, Ohio. So he's got it, it's it's a fair share of guys he's been a primary and been a secondary for, but it's just not a long list. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. It's 16 guys for a guy who's been an assistant coach at the, at the college football level for over a decade. So you're saying that those are the only 16 guys that he's been a primary or secondary guy for the yes. whole time? Yes, so according who, to 247 Sports. So who is recruiting Oklahoma State's linebackers? Other assistant coaches. I guess that's, I mean, in order to judge what he's doing, I guess that was an answer I thought we might have as to what was actually going on at Oklahoma State. Um, I mean, how, how is, so I guess if we're just judging based on the actual end results, how is Knowles really any different than any of these guys they're bringing in right now? I mean, um, you know, Justin Fry doesn't have a, uh, an impressive list of recruits that he's brought in. Perry Eliano doesn't have, I mean, you just mentioned, you know, one four star who is a guy that I don't think would be um, 
eagerly anticipated necessarily if you were coming to Ohio State. Like who else on this who on the staff does have any a recruiting background that um has has had success or how how would you judge success? You would judge it by one, how long the list is of guys that they've actually recruited and been responsible for why they're on the roster. That's how you gauge it. Whether, what well, as a, I mean, we're going to get into the, re- the reason why the, a lot of these guys don't have top 100 recruits is because of the schools they have. But the way they've recu- recruited based off the resources they've had has been impressive. Okay. Like, so go like each, go like down the list of the guys and, and explain that to me in some detail. So let's start. Let's start with Justin Fry. His la- his highest two guys are Sean Ryan, a top one hundred offensive lineman, top one hundred tackle. He was the number four Nash, number four player in the country, and the number two offensive guard in the twenty nineteen recruiting class. That's UCLA is not just getting a bunch of top one hundred recruits. That's that's Justin Fry's work. And then the other highest other four star he's got is Finn Durston, number three sixty two player, number sixteen guard in the twenty eighteen class, which was his last year at Boston College. So he moved up a level. He started getting four star recruits. So the idea of okay, he's at a school like Ohio State where it should be a little easier to get five star recruits and top one hundred recruits and top one fifty recruits that should pay off there. Perry Eliano, I just mentioned, he's coming off of a year where he just developed probably the best two cornerbacks in the country, and as a result, now he's he's got a higher profile that gets him JQ Hardaway. Before that, he was getting three stars all, all the time because he's at Cincinnati. Tim Walton hasn't been in college football for a decade. So the idea with him is, as I wrote, the idea of, I just, you want to be developed into an NFL prospect, who better to learn from than a guy who just spent a decade developing NFL players, including Jalen Ramsey, who might be the best cornerback in the NFL right now. Are there examples of that? Like guys who have been, come back from the NFL after an absence and were able to kind of use that pitch to help them recruit at the next level, you know, when they got back to college. That was part of what Kerry Combs was able to do. Now, obviously he had years though. That was, there were still guys here at Ohio state that he had recruited. Jeff Halfley spent that time with the San Francisco 49ers for years after being in the college game for a long time. And he immediately kind of got to work. Now, granted it took some time, because Ohio State had a brand new defensive staff. So they kind of knew that, you know, the defensive commits for that 2020 class were going to take some time to get. But after the relationship started getting built, that's how that's how they got Clark Phillips in the first place. That's how they got Lathan Ransom and Ryan Watts. And they got Legend Cavazos to recommit. So that's almost a perfect example there of a guy who spent a lot of time with the 49ers. Ryan, that's how he and Ryan Day built a relationship before that. He had spent time with Rutgers and in the Northeast area. And he came back and immediately fell right back into being a successful recruiter at his place like Ohio State. And that would have probably continued had he not left for Boston College. I guess the way I'm looking at it is, you know, I'm thinking back to like someone like Al Washington, who when he was at Michigan was involved in almost helping Michigan keep Zach Harrison away from Ohio State. Um, So there you're recruiting at, at the highest level. You're, and it's a guy that's in Ohio State's backyard, even that you're almost able to to pluck away. You, there's a bit of a you've proven your bona fides a little bit as far as like actually recruiting at the level that Ohio State wants to recruit at. Kerry Combs had obviously done it before too when he was um, had done it directly, so he was just coming back to a role that he had already um, had already experienced. Larry Johnson, when he comes to Ohio State, had already proven himself 
able to go through the, you know, the doors of the most, you know, important recruits in the country at his position and land him. Literally nobody that Ohio State is bringing in has done that. Like literally none of these. There's guys. no, there's no middle step there. Is what you're saying that they well, had so before. Why, why you seem to write with optimism about most of these guys, I guess, except for Knowles. And as far as like why that will translate, like why beyond uh, Jalen one one player saying this one quote that's been like recycled by a thousand different people or um you know the one this this one period of Terry Perry Eliano's career where these guys had success guys he didn't recruit by the way like why is there optimism why do you see optimism and what there's going to be here because I have a lot of questions I have I don't know if I have pessimism but I certainly have skepticism that this will necessarily uh work out great for Ohio State, especially across the board, all four of these guys. Like, I think that's something that they, this is like maybe this new staff has to prove itself in the most. I have more faith in them as developers than I do recruiters, certainly right now. So with Eliano, the idea is maybe you're catching Marcus Freeman before he went to Notre Dame. Because Marcus Freeman was kind of recruiting the same way at Cincinnati as a linebackers coach and defensive coordinator as Perry Aliano was recruiting as a defensive backs coach at Cincinnati before he went to Notre Dame. Because even if you look at his list a lot, his best recruits, all the big time guys are the moment he got to Notre Dame. And that idea that uh, obviously Marcus Freeman is never going to be an assistant coach here unless something goes terribly wrong at Notre Dame over the next couple of years here. And so that idea of you're catching a guy on the way up where all he needs now is the resources to show you that he has the ability to do one, the development, but also the recruiting resources he needs to get those top tier five star top 100 recruits the same way Marcus Freeman was able to do the moment he got to Notre Dame. But as we've also seen, the resources don't necessarily lead to the recruits, which is why Greg Stradrawa is not here anymore. So it, it seems like that's putting a lot of faith in a, just the, the aura of Ohio state being able to recruit on its own to a certain extent. Yeah. But you also, part of it is you gotta be willing to do it. You know, you can't just stick into your area and just go, okay, I'm just going to go get the guys who are on touching states or in the big 10 area. You've got to be willing to put the effort in to get, you know, a, a, a Zach Rice, you, a, a, uh, your head coach shouldn't have to tell you you need to go sit outside of Wyatt Davis's house to make sure he stays on the he stays committed and doesn't go visit Washington. That's part of it. I mean, that's it's one. You have to have the ability to do it, but also you got to be willing to do it and put that type of effort in. And maybe some of that was direction job was health just wouldn't allow him to do that anymore. But Perry, Perry Eliano is a younger coach and a little bit more hungry and still climbing up the totem pole here. So that idea that the opportunity for him to be what Marcus Freeman maybe should have been back in 2020 when they chose Kerry Combs instead of going to go get Marcus Freeman. That's out there for him. So you mentioned kind of that, that, that regional concept, anything in these guys' backgrounds that gives you an indication of regions where Ohio state might be more active going forward. And not just that Tim Walton's been in Florida the last couple mm-hmm. of years, like what, where have these guys been active and had success before that you think there might be some roots there? Yeah, I do wonder, uh, Eliano's recruits, obviously Alabama, he's got some guys in Ohio, Indiana, Maryland, he's from Texas, and spent the the beginning years of his coaching career coaching in that Big 12 area, so I do wonder, you know, can even with Texas looking like it's getting itself together, even with what Texas Tech is doing, the Texas A&M, excuse me, is doing right now, can he still you know, make some way there. Can he still have some headway in that area? That one's interesting. Obviously, you know, with Justin Fry spending some time in California, but being a guy who's from the Big Ten area, does Ohio, 
can that keep the window, the, the door in California that it looks like USC is starting to close? Can it keep it open a little bit longer to get some more guys out of that area? So those, it starts with those two, just because of where they've been on the map in their coaching careers and they've built some relationships here and they've built some relationships there. And those two states where there's always a talent hotbed, can the fact that they've built relationships there keep the door open, maybe a cycle or two longer than it, it should have just because as USC and Texas get themselves together? So these guys are obviously this transition's happening at a really interesting time because when the season ends, everybody goes back out on the road for to recruit. This is a thing that happens every year and something, you know, Ryan Day was sort of complaining the last couple of years about the overlap of the postseason and the start of the recruiting and and all of that, which. Um, well, good news. You don't have to worry about that this year, I guess. So they got to go right back out and recruit after, you know, starting January 2nd. How important is this time of year? How important is January every year? And how critical is it that these guys hit the ground running and, and get something going here in these, these first weeks on the job when, you know, who knows if their offices were even cleaned out yet from the last guy who was there at the Woody. I think when you have this much turnover as a, in a coaching staff, it's extremely important because it's only a two week period. And at this point, it's a lot of recruits going, yeah, I know the Ohio State model. And yeah, we've done our research on you know, what your guys' resumes are, but like you guys still have to build relationships with us and that's going to take some time. And so there's probably there's a lot of recruits out there who maybe had decisions that they wanted to make over the next couple of months here who now feel like they've got to put it off to the spring or maybe even the summer because of that. So this is these two weeks, whether it's finding new targets, the way they've offered, you know, north of 15 guys over a lot of different positions over the last two weeks here, or it's reestablishing some of the relationships with the defensive players who already had offers who had probably built relationships, whether it was Combs or Al Washington or down the, or Matt Barnes or down the board, those things are very, very, very important. This is a short window, but this short window can, if you do the right things here and you handle it the right way, there's another window coming up with, in March when you can get a lot more of these kids on campus. And then after that window, then you've got obviously the, the spring window, the spring game, and then you've got the June, it can snowball into something where, yes, this is a short amount of time because signing day is 12 months away once again, but this is vital you know, relationships establishing time, whether it's a guy that's recently gotten a new offer or a guy who had already had an offer and had already kind of had Ohio State high on his list. I want to touch on that too before we go to break, that idea of sort of re-recruiting your own class. And that happens, that's a 365 thing too. Mm -hmm. Once in a while, you'll get a Josh Myers who says like, hey, like, uh, leave me alone. Like I'm here. You guys need to go spend that capital elsewhere. That's kind of rare though. A lot of times you, um, I mean, especially with guys who aren't Ohio guys, you have to kind of budget that time to keep those guys in the fold a little bit. And how much of that from people you've talked to is going on? I know AJ Harris. So beyond AJ Harris, we've already yeah. talked about in that situation, but beyond him, are you, are you seeing that happening with other guys on this, the other visits that are being made right now, where it seems like they are having to go back and guys either who've already committed or who were thought to be really heavy Ohio State leans, these guys have to go back and now um, establish relationships that uh, since they're the new guy through the door. Yeah, to start, just to give Jim Noah some credit, one of the first things he did do when this contact period opened is he went to Louisiana and saw Jaden Osbury and he also offered Tackett. 
Curtis when he was down there. Osbury, the number 39 player in the country, the number three linebacker, while Tackett Curtis, number 64 player, the number five linebacker. So immediately going to go get the top dogs. That's a Jaden Osbury is one of the most important linebacker recruits they can have. Now, is it actually going to pull him out of the SEC country? We'll see. Who knows? It's very early in that process. But the fact that that's where he felt like his 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 time needed to be spent first, that that says something. The fact that, you know, Kyan Lee, who's committed to Georgia right now, but they're still recruiting him hard, still recruiting him hard, sending Perry Eliana and Tim. A lot of times they're sending Perry Eliana and Tim Walton to the same place because, yes, one's coaching safeties and one coaching defensive is coaching the cornerbacks, but it's still defensive backs. And if you can have a great relationship with both of those coaches, well, at some point you're going to have a conversation with both of those guys. That matters. Uh, Christian Gray. I've already said Kyan Lee's name, Tamir Robinson, uh, on down the list on the, maybe more on the defensive side than on the offensive side. I think the offensive side has, especially Brian Hartline. He sent out a bunch of new offers because he's established those relationships, but on the defensive side, especially at, in the back seven, that linebacker and that safety and that cornerback, everybody who's a top tier target has heard from one, one or two of these position coaches already. And a lot, a lot of them have also gotten visits from the position coaches, but then also Ryan day. We're going to take a break there. And when we come back, we're going to talk about one of the players that Ryan day has recently visited because some other coaches have been visiting him too. You're listening to Buckeye talk. Back on Buckeye talk, 614-350-3315. If you have not already signed up for the texts, we try to throw a lot of recruiting intel through there. We're going to try to throw more as we get into the offseason here and things start heating up with offers and visits and commitments and everything else that's going to be going on. So we're glad, uh, appreciate those of you who've already joined on. One of our stringers, uh, our correspondents, Kyle Kelly, this week went to Finley and spent some time with Luke Montgomery. And the night that he was there was a pretty busy night. Uh, I think Ryan Day had already been there like for a previous game. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And then Justin Fry had seen him already. Right. And I think maybe Corey Dennis was also there or was involved in one of those visits, right? He is there. Yes, yes. And here is why. It's going to also explain some other things. He's there because Ryan Montgomery has an offer as a freshman quarterback. That's Luke Montgomery's little brother. Correct. Correct. So the night that Kyle was there, the big visitor was Jim Harbaugh, who came in and brought basically half his staff. Like there were four Michigan uh, coaches there. Uh, so before we get into the like the the rivalry there, I'm just what is the dynamic of winter visits like this? Um, the, the basketball visits, I guess, in particular, because we've we've seen before players that. Ohio State has recruited Ryan Day going and being very visible in their basketball arenas. I remember Kerry Combs. Um, one of the reasons why I think he was big on Damon Arnett back in the day was having watched him play basketball and taking mm-hmm. away some things from from watching him there. So obviously, like guys who are multi-sport guys, coaches like to go there and get that in. But it's also there seems to be a very like you want to be seen. You want to make an entrance. You want there to, there's some glad handing going on here. There's some politicking that goes on here, right? What do you see as kind of the dynamic of these winter visits? There's definitely a part of it. that's just, Hey, look, I'm here to see you. Look how important you are to us. And I'm kind of a man of the people and look at me sign autographs and take photos while also coming to watch you play basketball. There is a very big part of that. Um, obviously, you know, you, you have a conversation with the kid and his coaches while you're there, but it's, it's definitely just, 
I would say about 45% of this is just, it's just a cool moment for the kid to be able to go, man, look how many people he brought and look how personable he was with all of my friends as he's at the game. But there is, a, it's that, but then it's also, I want you to know how important you are, which is why you bring so many people. But as I mentioned with Ryan Montgomery bringing his little brother, that's part of why there were so many people, because some of those people are there for Luke and some of those people are there for Ryan. And you just bring them all together and kill two birds with one stone. But it's a, it's a combination of, it looks cool. And it also leaves a good impression on a kid, especially for the next 20. It's almost like when you come for a, a game day visit, and now you're on that high of, man, this was so cool. Look at how the pregame worked. Look how loud the crowd was. It was awesome because it was a big game. And you kind of have some momentum until that initial shine wears off and they actually sit down and think about things. So does that matter? Like if Ryan Day goes by himself and Michigan brings four guys, does that matter in the recruiting process? No, not to the level like Luke Montgomery is not going to commit to Michigan because Jim Harbaugh bought five people and Ryan Day brought three. No, these kids are smarter than that. I do think it's that coaches know when they are going to be visible and Mm -hmm. when it's going to like make the rounds that they were somewhere. And it's it's not then it becomes it seems not just about that one recruit that they're visiting that that one target they're visiting that night it's 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 just having an event that kind of lights up that town a little bit yeah especially uh, that problem i think bringing five people probably did more for jim harbaugh than it would have for ryan day let's just because let's just think about how the last three months here have gone they beat ohio state they make the playoff and everybody it's just an awesome time to be a michigan wolverine fan right now and be they can use a lot of that momentum on the recruiting trail for stuff like this but yes it's it's a cool it's a i come see look at me it's a it's definitely a a, i want to be seen being out here being an awesome recruiter which is why you know that's what this is you're dealing with teenagers so you got to do things that make you look cool how have you seen ryan day in this aspect this uh as far as that you know going out being visible kind of embracing that that moment to be out there and because i've seen i honestly i've seen other like pretty high profile coaches and other sports who sometimes kind of sneak in the side entrance and they sit mm-hmm. up in the corner now sometimes that in, in some of those cases they actually were there to uh scout basketball players and i there's a different dynamic as you well know i think when mm-hmm. you know a guy is there to watch you and when you don't Yes. And so there's sometimes they yeah. want you to know they're there and sometimes they don't. But here we're talking about a different thing where, where it's football coaches going to see guys in there. Uh, I, I don't mean this disparagingly, but kind of the hobby sport that they're doing that isn't going to be their future college slash. It's not sport. mean to say so, that's just the truth. It, it, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm just saying I know that I don't think Luke Montgomery would tell you he's doing a hobby this winter. Yeah. I think he's saying he's trying to go out and win basketball games. So yeah. I'm not trying to disparage Luke Montgomery. I'm just, I'm looking at it from the coach's perspective, but what do you see from day in terms of this? Because there is a difference between guys who are more personable than others and guys who are more approachable than others. And, and that seems to be a thing that could resonate out there on the recruiting trail. You're almost asking me about like the brand of Ryan day in a way. And like, he's not famous. You know, he's not Urban Meyer where and even Jim Harbaugh is kind of famous because he's weird. And so when he walks in the door, everybody stops what they're doing, goes, oh, my God, Jim Harbaugh's here. Oh, my God. 
Nick Saban's here. Oh my God, Urban Meyer's here. Like that kind of happens. He's not famous. So that aspect doesn't happen. So there is a little bit of, he can get in and out of some places. Like he went to go see Sonny Styles play basketball uh, ahead of the early signing period. And it was, he was there, but it, it, you only really knew he was there because Sonny Styles put up a post saying thanks to Kerry, uh, to Kerry Combs and Ryan Day for coming to see me play basketball. It wasn't like a big, you know, hoopla about it. Um, he doesn't do like the helicopter fly in the way that James Franklin or Kirby Smart does. So he doesn't have that little shtick that makes it a loud event. He just kind of goes about it. I think the thing, I don't know if this separates him, but I think his thing is, he gets involved with recruits a lot earlier than you would expect in a, a, a head coach to do it. I mean, when you just think about how recruiting works, the recruiting coordinator identifies guys and then the assistant coaches get involved. The GAs get involved to an extent. And then eventually if the recruit, depending on how important the recruit is, then the head coach starts to get involved, especially as you get closer to signing day, Ryan Day's involved pretty much from day one. It doesn't matter if you're the number one ranked player in the country or you're the number 271 ranked player in the country. He gets involved a lot earlier. And I do think part of that is because he's so early in his career, he's still establishing himself in a lot of those relationships. So he has to do some of that stuff. But he he gets very so like the relationship that Luke Montgomery, it's part of why Ohio State hasn't fallen off the cliff with any of these recruits like a Luke Montgomery, since that's who we're talking about right now. Yes. He has to rebuild some relationships with Justin Fry, but the fact that he already has relationship with Ryan day, Kennedy cook is still on the staff as a GA that stuff matters. So it's almost like, okay, how quickly can Justin Fry make up his relationship that makes Luke Montgomery, especially feel comfortable because all the momentum sends him to Ohio state, no matter how much he's enjoying this recruiting process right now. Yeah. If I was Ryan day, I wouldn't, go in any more helicopters and I absolutely had to I feel like it's it's I mean I don't think especially when you're dealing up here in the north he probably doesn't James Franklin almost has to do that in a little yeah. some ways to make a little bit of a splash you need to make a little bit of a scene whereas yeah. Ryan Day in Ohio is the head coach of Ohio State and while he's not you're right he's not world famous he could go to a uh, NBA basketball game and probably sit in the front row. I shouldn't say he's not world famous, but definitely not world recognizable. You know what I'm saying? Like he could go yeah. sit in the front row at a uh, Memphis Grizzlies game and he may not, maybe nobody notices, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He just, the, the night goes by and he goes home. And I think there's some advantages to that sometimes, but I think, you know, in the, in this region, I don't think he has to go out and, and make that kind of noise. But I know that when I went down and reported on Justin Fields a couple of years ago, like people there still talk about like, Oh, there was the game that, Nick Saban showed up in the helicopter or Kirby smart showed up in the helicopter. Like that's, it is almost a bigger thing down there. I think where like the, the things are so fierce across state lines that you do mm -hmm. almost have to do that. So I think it's almost a good thing for Ohio state that day doesn't really have to do that. And I think helicopters are terrifying. And if I were him, I wouldn't get in one if I didn't have to. I also don't understand it. Cause it's not like the kid can get in the helicopter with you. You know, you're just going to leave. No, but that. it's not for the kid. It's not for the yeah. kid. It's for, it's for everybody you're else landing there. Exactly. It's like everybody's going to be, what was a helicopter last night? Mm -hmm. Oh, that was so-and-so. He was here to see uh, little Johnny. If he was doing really good for the local team. I mean, mm -hmm. um, I, I remember that stuff happening all the time, especially when I was in Indiana, because it was like much, much less frequent that you would have a coach that was like flying in to see somebody. And um, it, would, it would like throughout the state, there'd be on like message boards like, oh, the, the helicopter was in. <laughs> Helicopter was at Ben Davis last night or whatever. So I, 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 it doesn't make mean a lot to me that Ryan Day isn't doing that stuff because I think he doesn't have to, not not from a travel standpoint, but just from a uh, impact 
standpoint. I think he can probably move around um, in a different way. So let's talk about Montgomery a little bit more specifically. Um, like I said, four-star top 100 offensive lineman is going to be yes. his future position. Yes, he's, he's plays a lot of defensive line in high school, but projects as an offensive lineman. So I guess, how do you see this battle? How would you weigh it right now? How serious is Michigan as far as being able to pull him away? Let's start with that conversation first, because there's some other schools involved here too. If I had to rank the order right now, I'd say Ohio State is in the lead, and I think Michigan, Notre Dame, and Clemson are kind of fighting for two through four. Um, he, they really love Clemson because they, um, Dabo's built that family atmosphere down there, and they they have a lot of the same views. Um, I think Michigan, this push and this momentum is helping this right now. I think it's kind of loud. Um, I think some. I, I think it'll be important to ask him about Michigan in like March, when some of this is like calmed down and it's a little bit quieter. Because right now, as I said, Michigan's just got a lot of momentum, and I think I would have pushed Notre Dame out in a world where Brian Kelly was still the head coach, and they love Marcus Freeman, but he's not going to play D line, and that's what they were recruiting. They were recruiting him as um, Marcus Freeman is now the head coach, and. They don't necessarily if and Luke Montgomery has made it clear to myself. I mean, I'm pretty sure he said it to Kyle when he got a chance to go talk to him. He said it to other people that he's going to play offensive line. I'm pretty sure Notre Dame's not going to be an idiot and just stop recruiting him. They'll probably just start recruiting him as an offensive lineman now because he's that good of a prospect and that important really as a peer recruiter and what he can bring along with him in a class. Um, but I would say in some order, it's Ohio State in the lead and then those three are next in whatever order you want to put them in. And I think that will get interesting. I don't I just don't see him as an SEC kid. He's a Midwest kid at heart. And it's, I just don't see that happening there. So that, that those are the four I would be most interested in seeing how that battle plays out there. Um, his importance. He can play anywhere on the offensive line. Obviously, everybody in the world wants to play left tackle because that's where the, all the big money is. But I want to go watch and play. There were snaps. He was a guard. There were snaps. He was a left tackle. There were snaps. He was a center at times. I'm pretty, as a matter of fact, I was on the sideline listening and he like yelled at his coaches because they were like two or three bad snaps in a row. And he went, put me at center. I'm not trying to lose this game. Uh, so he can play any, he's got the versatility, which Ohio state loves. He's about six, five two sixty right now. So, but now that he's actually focused on playing the offensive line, I would expect that weight to go up significantly. Um, I really can't wait to see him at camp this summer to see now that he's focused on that, what type of prospect he is, because last summer he was okay, but he, he didn't necessarily wow you as an offensive line prospect, but there really weren't any, he didn't, none of the offensive line prospects really wowed you when you're 15 years old going through that. So that there's that, the development is there. Um, but also he just has a lot of great relationships and it's because of the people he's grown up around. Obviously he played for the same AAU team growing up as Bronny James and that traveling circus that that was, he's got a lot of great relationships with a lot of the top recruits, not only in the Midwest, but around the country. And so to pull a guy, it, the idea originally was that either him, Josh Padilla or Sonny Styles would be the first 2023 recruit to commit. And obviously Ty Locke would end up being first with Josh Padilla being second and Sonny Styles is now going to be on the roster next year. But the idea of what a Luke Montgomery can mean, he can be the same as what Jack Sawyer was in 2021 and CJ Hicks was in 2022 as basically the leader of a class. Clemson being involved here is interesting to me. We're obviously not that far removed from the Jackson Carmen episode. And yeah. Clemson is 
Well, Clemson should feel like it can go anywhere and recruit people, I think, at this point. But maybe is especially emboldened by that, that it can go into Ohio and entice a kid to come there and, and play for them. Do you think that that's going to go deep into this recruitment, that it's somebody that Ohio State's going to still be fighting off as Montgomery makes his decision in what I think is expected to be May or so? Yeah, and we'll see if he actually holds that because um, things change all the time. Yes, I do, um, because Clemson Clemson and Ohio State have a lot in common in the terms of the word fit becomes a buzzword, but there's also some truth to it. There's like a certain type of guy where you can, if you have a conversation with him, you're like, yeah, that's a Clemson guy, or yeah, that's an Ohio State guy. And even, yeah, that's a Bama guy. There's, there's fits with some of this stuff, and his personality very much fits down there. And even with Clemson coming off a year where they went nine and three, um, given how the last decade went, there's probably more reason to think that this was just an, a down year and they'll get back to being in the thick of things. And this is like the downfall of Clemson. And so if they really believe that Clemson is still going to be, you know, a college football playoff national title contender and they really love Dabo and the program he's built there. Yeah, I do think if he doesn't end up at a Midwest school. Clemson is the reason why he doesn't end up at a Midwest school. So I do, they're going to be in this for a while. I don't expect them to go away. He'll be at their junior day. If, if Clemson's junior day hasn't already happened yet, but that's, he is supposed to be at that. So considering where Ohio state's offensive line recruiting stands right now, considering it's an in-state guy and considering just where he is from a personality standpoint, as you were mentioning before. So scale of one to 10, 10 being the best, since we had some confusion about that on a recent poll. <laughs> well, how critical is Luke Montgomery as a recruit for Ohio State? I'm not going to say a 10 because that just seems hyperbolic, but I'll say nine and a half. Nine and a half. Just to be, so just to be childish. Yeah, so basically a 10. Yes, yeah, I think he's, I think he's, regardless of throw the ratings out the window, I think he's the most important offensive line target on the board for them right now because if he adds so much other stuff other than he might be a really good player one day. So keep an eye on that. Like we said, they're, they're kind of floated out there that maybe the decision would come in May. But as Steven says, those things do change sometimes. And obviously, there's a lot that could change from Michigan standpoint, depending on what goes on with Jim Harbaugh's future here in the, in the coming weeks, since those rumors are still out there. We're going to take one last break. We're going to come back and talk about Ohio State's most recent commit. We're going to talk about the potential of another commit pretty soon. And these offers that have been going out so far in January. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. Will Smith Jr. committed to Ohio State this past weekend. I would fall asleep while watching some NFL games. <laughs> Not the ends of those games. I think he committed sometime in the early part of the the uh, San Francisco Green Bay games. Does that sound right? I'm trying I to think. remember what the timing was. I, I had think. like it was dark it outside. That's all I know. Yeah. Yes, it is. I it had snoo I had snoozed off a minute, so maybe it was maybe it was in the later game. But not, I, I saw all the endings of those games. Don't worry about that. Uh, I'm not saying that they had put me to sleep. But just, you know, you get old, you fall asleep on a Sunday afternoon. Anyway, three-star right now, defensive line prospect. Just what can he really be for Ohio State? Like this, It's beyond he's a legacy, obviously, for yeah. people who don't know. You know, his father played at Ohio State and, you know, uh, tragically had his life cut short um, after his NFL career, or maybe sort of even during it almost. Um, what can he, what can Will Smith Jr. 
really be for Ohio State? What, where is his trajectory as a prospect? I guess I'm asking, you know, he's, he's three-star guy. So is he a developmental guy who maybe develops into a rotational guy? Or is he someone who is still climbing and maybe regarded more highly by the time he gets to Ohio State? Somewhere in the middle, um, still climbing, but it's not going to be, oh, I'm still climbing and now I'm the number 54 player in the country by the time I sign. That's not the trajectory there. But I do think he'll be in the top 300s, top 250, because the physical development was there, which is part of what they were waiting on there. He's 6'3", 260 now. He was not that when he was showing up at camps over the summer. He didn't look the part as a defensive lineman. And Yes, he's a legacy, but like you actually have to be able to play here. You can't just because your dad played here, you get a chance to get an offer. No, he had to work for this offer. That meant putting on the necessary weight and making the necessary physical development, some of which is just because he's you know, 17 and that's going to happen. But also just putting that work, putting the necessary work in to get up to the weight where it looks like you could actually play here. Um, which I've, I've mentioned in the past now, as Ohio State started to dwindle down how many offers they've sent out in the cycle, they don't want to offer anybody anymore that they don't think can legitimately play here one day. Um, they think that now. So I do think he'll make some climb. I think he'll get a chance to get out here and get out to some of these national so- showcases and get to some of these camps and make a bit of a name for himself and move up. But I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to get here and turn into his dad. I think he has an opportunity to be a Javante Jean Baptiste, Tyler Friday level player here where he's in the rotation, even if he's not like the superstar, which is quality. It's like if Javante Jean Baptiste and Tyler Friday are your third and fourth best defensive linemen, I think that's a pretty good room, right? Because you've got, and they're maybe fourth and fifth because you've got Jack Sawyer, JT Tui Malowal and Zach Harrison. That's fine. I think that's what he is. I think his ceiling here is he's got a, Good chance to be a rotational piece for if it's Larry Johnson, if it's not Larry Johnson, no matter what, you're going to play more than two defensive ends in a game. I think he can he can find his way in the rotation as a sophomore. I think that's out there for him. It could be a tough scenario. I mean, you're coming in with the guy's name who starred here before and then again went on and and was a very good NFL player. You're been wearing his number. I think I read. in, in recent vintage, he's been wearing his father's number in, in uh, at least at some, some level he's been playing at. So you, you are, you can't escape the comparisons and that can be tough. Like you have you're going to be playing it. Yeah. As I said, yeah, I said, up front, yeah, you got his name and he's going to be playing a slightly different position, right? He's going to be more of a three tech probably as yes. opposed to defensive end, yes. which Will Smith senior was, but I think you've got to have the right makeup to as much as, Ohio State is a was a big offer for him. It was a jump in offer for him and had to be enticing. Even if even if his name wasn't Will Smith Jr., I think if he had just gotten recruited by Ohio State, all of a sudden it would have been a big deal for him. So but beyond that, you I think you have to have your head kind of set the right way to come here and deal with what might be a situation where you're going into year three and you haven't seen the field very much Mm -hmm. and your name is still will smith jr that can be for some guys i'm not saying i'm not predicting it'll be tough for him i'm just saying that for some guys that is a a tough uh road and i'm thinking ohio state probably had to do some of its due diligence on him to see if he's a guy that can stand up to that i i do think the added point of like his dad played at ohio state and not necessarily was just a really good defensive lineman somewhere because Marvin Harrison obviously deals with the same thing, but Marvin Harrison senior didn't play at Ohio state. So there's that added element to that. I think they did him some favors by not just pulling the trigger 
when he came for a camp because they probably could have, they probably could have sent that offer out and just believe that the physical development will come. I think them making him earn the offer to where like, it doesn't feel like I only got offered because of what my name is. I got offered because they gave me, I got offered the same way any other you know prospect would get offered. They, they saw me, they saw something in me, but felt like we need to see X, Y, and Z before we can legitimately say, consider you a target. And then I went out and did those things and pretty based, I got the offer on my own. I didn't get it because of what, what my name is. And I think doing that, taking that approach to it, I think will do him some, some good in the long run because now it's not okay. Yes. Us in the media, Every time we mention Will Smith for the junior for the next four or five years, once he gets on campus, we're going to have a line that says, remember, he's the son of former All-American Will Smith, who helped Jim Chessel win a national championship. That That's not going to go away, but that's not necessarily going to define his career because th- the relationship with Ohio State didn't just start because we gave you an offer as a legacy kid when they probably could have. And he's local. So it's not like he's yes. going to be homesick. It's not like you're bringing yeah. in. Uh, it's not like he's from California and coming out mm-hmm. here, even though that has worked too with with guys from California with uh, Ohio State connections. But it th- that would make it a little bit tougher. Those were also guys who were who got to play fairly early on. Kristen Miller, where do things stand with him? He's got a commitment date coming up on Wednesday. Is that correct? Yes, February 2nd. That's the first day people can sign. So the expectation is um, Carson Heinzman, Ohio State, will be tweeting about him for the first time. Um, we think Amari Abor, they're going to be tweeting about him for the first time. But as I've said in the past, we'll see. You know, uh, and then Kristen Millen. Oh, wow. Kristen Millen. Kristen Miller, the number 102 player, the number 14 defensive lineman. I think one of the most interesting just personalities in that 2022 recruiting class. Um He's momentum has taken him to USC at times over the summer when I got a chance to talk to him when he came up here uh, for a one on one workout with Larry Johnson. He said that the Larry Johnson recruiting pitch is similar to how Lamborghini sells pitches their cars. You don't see commercials because they're Lamborghini, which was interesting. And now, obviously, Georgia has taken the lead here. He's taken visits to a couple of HBCU schools. He's expected to take a visit to Miami this week. Um, And then he'll obviously make a decision after that. But the expectation is February 2nd, he'll make a decision. I've said it in the past and I'll continue to say it. I don't think Ohio State wins this one. And I think as long as Amari Abor signs, it's not the end of the world. You've still got four guys in your class who are all, I think the the updated uh, rankings are all within like the top 125 of the country with Caden Curry, um, Amari Abor, and then Kenyatta Jackson and uh, Hero Canoe, both of those, those three are already signed, obviously, and you're just waiting on Omari Abor at this point. So it's like, it's, it's Chris, I, I view Kristen Miller as if he ends up at Ohio State, it's a bonus. If he doesn't, they'll be fine. And I don't think that he's going to end up there. I think he's going to end up staying home and going to Georgia. As we said before, just a flurry of offers have gone out here in January. Anything that jumps out at you? Uh, guys that surprised you guys that are going to be important for Ohio state guys that maybe weren't on the radar before. And now with this new staff coming in, you're, you're seeing something you didn't expect. It's early. I think obviously the Will Smith one was like, okay, he's got the offer. When, when's the commitment coming now? I think right now it's, it's, it's so early. It's kind of hard. I think Brian Hartline, I think he was a little bit more active than maybe I expected him to be just because I thought he had a pretty good offer list so far, but now it's up to 13, which is, 
uh, it's one of the higher numbers he's had in a recruiting class because typically he locks in on his guys really, really early and just kind of shuts it down and develops with them. But obviously, you know, guys like Kyler Casper, uh, Rico Flores, one Kyler Casper's out of Arizona, Rico Flores out of California, uh, Chris Culver, Culver out of North Carolina. I think that's an interesting prospect just because he's a bigger receiver in a room that's filled with a bunch of guys who are 6'1", 190. And then there's Marvin Harrison, who's the 6'3 guy. Chris Culliver is kind of in the same mold, so he's interesting to me. Um, but, yeah, it's just right now is very much build relationships with the old guys, build relationships with the new guys, and then let's check in back in March once they can get a lot of these guys on campus and we'll see where guys' heads are at because I think there's a lot of recruits right now. It's way north of 15. I put out an article last week just, show, like, just to uh, – catch people up on how many people got offered and like two hours after the offer came out they offered like seven more guys and so right now it's just more sending out a bunch of as many offers as you can and back in come come march that's when you really check back in and say okay how many of these guys can ohio state realistically land and then obviously it'll be may and june before you know it but you mentioned before kind of that change in philosophy does it seem like fewer offers than usual yeah, it still does. I think right now it's just a lot because you've got a lot of new head coaches. I, I think the interesting place will be defensive back and how many offers over the next couple of months here do you know Tim Walton and Perry Eliado end up sending out in a world where now you're going to have five on the field. You know, uh, the quarterback offers are never going to be more than seven, eight or nine guys just because that's not how Ryan Day and Corey Dennis are going to operate. Do the cornerback offers get up to you know 25? Do the, the safety offers get up to 15, 20, 25? Because you've got to cast a larger net. Because I think the one thing they don't want to get into, again, is where you lock in on guys like Xavier Wampa and Zion Brandt so early that what if you don't get them? It's an all-or-nothing situation. You don't want that again. You would do want to not put your all your eggs in one basket. So I do think people should pay attention to those two position groups specifically. Um, obviously the offensive line, but that's, you're always going to offer a lot of offensive line people because it's five of them, but those two spaces, uh, specifically the, the cornerback and the safety spots, by the time we get to July, how many people have they actually offered at those spots? Because you have to fill three positions at safety and then you want at least three corners in every class. You already mentioned the early, I'm sorry, the late signing period starting on Wednesday. What are the other like big dates that are coming up? Kind of the like tent pole places on the calendar that people need to keep in mind. March will be important because you'll see a lot. I'm this already been, like uh, AJ offer has already been on campus, the defensive lineman out of the South that really loves Larry Johnson. He's already been here, but March is typically when Ohio state starts getting a lot of guys on campus for unofficial visits. Official visits can't start till the spring. I think April is the earliest you can start doing a, a official visits for the 2023 class. So March will be important um, as a lot of kids get here. And then obviously whenever they put that spring football game date out, that'll be an important day because there will be a lot of recruits walking around then and then obviously June, June 1st is gets interesting because the week, the month of June is day camp time. And obviously the Buckeye bash 3.0, I, I don't know if that's what they're going to actually call it here, but those weekends where you've got seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 people taking official commitments. So it's not so much dates. It's more just months. It's, you know, March is important. Whenever the, the, the spring game is, is important. And then June, June is where this gets fun. And Mark Mantoni, you know, loses his mind for a month. We'll be there to chronicle all of it. Thanks for listening to us today. We'll be back with another episode on Monday. We're going to still be going five days a week. Like I said, we're just going to kind of jumble up the lineup here a little bit. A lot of times it's going to be two of us instead of three. I think we'll still have three of us on the big Wednesday, figuring out those plans. But rest assured, you'll still hear from us 
plenty as the week goes along, as the offseason goes along. And follow Stephen for more recruiting updates. He's Stephen Means. I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk.